0: Yeah. it is monday september 16th here in draft shark studios in rochester new york welcome to the fantasy football podcast i'm your host Matt Shoff. with me as always is jared smola and monday is always a busy day for us We've got to sort out everything that happened on Sunday and then jump right into projections for the next week. But Jared, it's even busier, it feels like today, because we've got some big injuries that we've got to sort through today. We've got to sort through the fallout. We're going to try to sort through some running back situations, whether it be some situations gaining clarity. Or some others that feature disappointing performers or some disappointing coaching. And we're going to revisit the wide receivers that we were looking to add on waivers last week. See what's changed and maybe what hasn't. Let's just jump right in. And I think we should start with the Ben Roethlisberger injury. Ben Roethlisberger is having right elbow surgery. He's done for the season.
1: Yeah, maybe done forever. I guess we'll have to see him. And the guy's 37 years old. Um,
0: Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I've been uh, keeping tabs on what our guy, Dr. Chow on, on Twitter, has been talking about Big Ben. And, you know, he he has mentioned that, you know, th- this could be the Tommy John ligament, which, you know, for, for baseball pitchers is very bad news. And we haven't heard the Steelers confirm exactly what Big Ben's injury is. But, yeah,
0: obviously it's serious if he needs surgery and it's going to knock him out for the season. Yeah, done for the season. So Mason Rudolph steps in, threw 19 passes yesterday in relief, uh, completed 1,212 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, 5.9 yards per pass attempt. So that's not a a strong number there. But he was stronger in the preseason, 8.6 yards per attempt, four touchdowns to one pick, a 113.3 rating too, 65% completions. You know, we, we never really know what preseason performance means, but it can't be a bad thing that Mason Rudolph was solid in the preseason this year
1: yeah and he was a you know big time producer in college a third round pick so you know he wasn't it wasn't chopped liver in the draft um I, I thought he looked good against Seattle yeah the, the Steelers offense was better after Rudolph came in and I'm sure big Ben's albinger I mean you know he was he was dealing with that throughout the game i'm sure that had a lot to do with it but yeah and then Rudolph in the preseason PFF had him third. In passing grades among 74 quarterbacks with 30 plus dropbacks, so I still think he's a downgrade from a healthy Roethlisberger. But I think Rudolph can do enough to definitely keep Juju Smith Schuster as a fantasy starter, even if you know maybe he's like a wide receiver two now. And then Vance McDonald, I think you know, still has a chance to pop up in spurts. You know, he obviously had a nice game with Rudolph yesterday. Vance was second with four targets among those uh,
0: 19. Rudolph pass the time. So only Juju Smith-Schuster with five saw more targets from Rudolph. It's also possible that Mason Rudolph's not a downgrade from Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I think we kind of have to assume that he is, but it's possible that he ends up not being a downgrade from whatever version of Roethlisberger we got this year. I think it's worth noting that the Steelers let Landry Jones walk this offseason. He's been their backup for a while, or had been. They traded Josh Dobbs to the Jaguars at the beginning of the season. So it seems pretty clear that they... Like Mason Rudolph, and as you mentioned, a third round pick I mean, that makes him three rounds better than Gardner Minshew, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, the, the Steelers do still have what I think is one of the better lines in the league, so that obviously helps. I think James Washington, too, is going to be a popular guy now just because you know, Rudolph played with James Washington at Oklahoma State, they put up big numbers. We've seen them connect a bunch in the preseason, and also worth noting that Washington played the second most snaps among Steelers wide receivers in week two. So his role was already growing as Dante Moncrief has continued to struggle. Now, you know, maybe he
0: has that connection with
1: with Mason Rudolph. So I would say grab James Washington if he's available in
0: your league. Yeah, certainly grab him off waivers where he's available. See what the asking price might be in trade. Maybe you could get him for cheap when he's and when he hasn't really accomplished anything yet. I mean, it's certainly worth noting what they did in college. 198 catches James Washington had over Mason Rudolph's three years as the starter at Oklahoma State. 4,016 receiving yards, 33 touchdowns. That's 20.3 yards per catch. So, I mean, they did a lot there. And Washington wasn't just catching stuff from Rudolph in preseason. He was catching some deep balls from Dobbs as well. It was good there. We've been kind of looking for – some kind of impetus to to get Washington past Dante Moncrief, which seems like an inevitable move. Maybe this helps him at some point. You know, even if we don't get James Washington into the clear role right away, maybe he and Rudolph have a, a connect on a deep ball, which was their specialty in college, and it motivates coaches to make a switch. Whatever the case, there it's there's some kind of light here to those of us who were hoping that Dante Moncrief would get out of the way and there would be some receiver value in Pittsburgh.
1: Yep, definitely. And I think worth noting too that Deontay Johnson, the Steelers rookie wide receiver, saw three targets from Mason Rudolph. That was the third most behind Juju and Vance. And Deontay Johnson's role seems to be growing too. Da- Dante Moncrief just might be out of the picture soon. He, he dropped a pass from Rudolph that ended up getting interception, intercepted by the Seahawks. And after that, I don't think Moncrief hit the field again.
0: Yeah, let's hope that that happens because the guy stinks. <laughs> he showed it now <laughs> across multiple teams. Yeah. The other situation that we need to watch in Pittsburgh is James Conner, who suffered a knee injury in yesterday's game. I don't think that we really know yet how serious the issue is, though, right?
1: We don't. Dr. Chow, based on just, just video analysis, um, believes it's not a serious injury. You know, nothing that's going to be season-ending or even probably require surgery. So that's the good news. But Conner could still you know, miss a game to a few games, I would assume. I think by the end of Monday here, we'll have a better idea. Of James Conner's status and that will obviously impact how aggressively you go after Jalen Samuels on the waiver
0: wire. Yeah of course the downside to doing this on Monday is that we don't know the updates on a lot of these injury situations and I, I agree that's going to affect how heartily you go after Jalen Williams or Jalen Samuels sorry in uh, free agency. He's owned mm-hmm. in just 25.5% of ESPN leagues right now so pretty widely available I think if I'm a James Conner owner this week and I'm not deep at running back otherwise, I'd probably be looking to invest 50% or so of my waiver budget in Jalen Samuels this week, unless, you know, we hear before waivers run that James Conner's really just fine. And it was a, bruise and he's good to go for week three Connor of course left in the fourth quarter of the game against the Seahawks so we didn't get a chance to see much of what would happen if he is out Samuels had three carries one target in that game you know he has shown in the past though uh, at least over a few games late last year that he's capable of taking over the workload and producing if Connor misses time
1: yeah, exactly had those three pretty productive games I, I mean a lot of his production came in that one game against the Patriots but I think the important thing is the Steelers basically treated J- Jalen Samuels as a feature back in those three games Connor missed last season um Samuels obviously did a lot in the in the passing game at NC state and and, and it's probably a better pass catching back than even James Connor so he would have that going for him again still playing behind a good old line so yeah it, it, if you're a Connor owner even if it ends up that he isn't going to miss any time with this injury. I, I, I'd stash Samuels at this point just because Connor, you know, dealt with that in- injury last year. He's already banged up this year, and I think Samuels, you know, is is a high end handcuff.
0: Drew Brees suffered a thumb injury in yesterday's loss to the Rams. He's going to be out six to eight weeks, and the, according to Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network, that's a minimum. So maybe more than that. They were saying that the Saints might be considering short term IR for Brees for whatever amount of time he's out. It's now Teddy Bridgewater starting for the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater was not very good against the Rams yesterday.
1: He wasn't. I've always been a Teddy Bridgewater fan, so like I want him to succeed here. But you're right. He wasn't good against the Rams. He wasn't really good this preseason. Um, 61% completion rate, 5.7 yards per attempt. Um, Bridgewater ranked 33rd in PFF's passing grades among those 74 quarterbacks with 30-plus dropbacks. So we'll see. I mean, the thing Bridgewater is working in his favor is – Sean Payton. I mean, I I I think Sean Payton is one of, if not the best offensive minds coaching right now. And I trust him to get get the best out of Teddy Bridgewater. You know, I, I would only add him at this point in two quarterback leagues. But again, I, I think he can do enough to at least make Michael Thomas and Alvin
0: Kamara, you know, locked in fantasy starters still going forward. Yeah, I'm open to the idea that Bridgewater's fine. Maybe he needs to put a glove back on that throwing hand. That might be (laughs) what's missing. He was not particularly good in this preseason, 5.7 yards per attempt, 61% completions, but was much better in 2017, 74% completions, 8.3 yards per attempt. I mean, like you said, Sean Payton has earned benefit of the doubt at this point, and they made sure, they not only traded for him, they then made sure that Bridgewater was not leaving by paying up for him in the backup spot. He could have left and become the starter in Miami and didn't, so he stuck around with the Saints. They clearly believe in him. There's enough around, I mean... We might find out now just how much is actually around in the Saints offense because it, it mm-hmm. could just be a top-heavy group of skill guys with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, and then everybody else is just kind of a dude at this point. But I'm not really looking too far beyond those guys anyway for fantasy production right now. So I'm, if I'm a Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara owner, I don't feel great today, but I'm not panicking yeah. to the point where I'm – Uh, Looking into how much I can get for them, I think Latavius Murray is somebody who could see some more work going forward. I mean, the Saints have already been among the more run-heavy teams over the past two years. This year so far, just 33.6% run after being about 47% last year, 50% in the games after Mark Ingram returned.
1: Yeah, and of course, the the Saints have trailed for most of this season so far. They, They were trailing Houston in the opener and were trailing the Rams. In week two, so yeah, I do think they're going to run as much as possible. You know, Latavius Murray, maybe it's about a wash because he could see more volume, but I also think his you know TD upside is sort is sort of capped as as the Saints' offense takes a hit here. Um, You know, Michael Thomas was targeted on 11 of Teddy Bridgewater's throws yesterday. So, you know, Bridgewater obviously knows where, you know, he needs to be going with the football. Jared Cook saw six of Bridgewater's targets. Cook was horrible in this game against the Rams. He dropped a couple passes. One of them resulted in Breeze's interception. So I'm just worried about him as a player at this point, even beyond the quarterback downgrade. And then guys like Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith, who's dealing with an ankle injury now. You know, those are the guys
0: who I think are sort of off the radar now that it's Teddy under center. I agree. If those, if you own any of those guys now, I think Ted, Ted Ginn and Traquan Smith are guys to drop this week for who you're picking up off of waivers. Um, you know, we'll see longer term with them. Jared, the, you like the targets for Jared cook. And he's mm-hmm. always been somebody with that kind of downside. He can just have horrible games. So six targets are nice. Didn't catch any of them. Overall, The the new Orleans passing game goes to Seattle next week which it looks like a positive matchup so far this year. I mean, they played Mason Rudolph last week when he was solid as a fill-in. They, of course, allowed 400 passing yards to Andy Dalton in week one. So, you know, again, I'm not panicking on the main guys for New Orleans. And we'll see, I guess, what yeah. New Orleans can manage in week three.
1: Yeah, you're starting Michael Thomas. You're starting Alvin Kamara. You're hopefully not starting Latavius Murray this week, at least until will bye start to hit. I mean, Jared Cook, like you said, the targets were nice. Now we get Seattle, who gave up, you know, some decent numbers to Bengals tight ends in Week One, and then the the two touchdowns to Vance McDonald in Week Two. So seems like a good matchup for Jared Cook. You know, he'll he'll
0: he'll be, I think, on that tight end one borderline for Week Three. Yeah, I might be looking for a little Jared Cook in DFS this week. We'll see. Mm. Beyond the two big quarterback injury situations, the next biggest injury uh, outlook. Is probably the Kansas City backfield. Damian Williams left the game against the Raiders with a knee injury. Lashawn McCoy it wasn't really evident during the game, but has since been revealed that he suffered an ankle injury late in that one. It was it was pretty late. He was in the game well into the fourth quarter. So Darwin Thompson got the last carry of the game, but only one. The Chiefs only had one running back touch after Lashawn McCoy left the game. So. We're going to have to watch both Williams and McCoy this week to see if they're in danger of missing week three. Darwin Thompson, though, is definitely squarely on the waiver radar if either guy is set to miss time and definitely if both guys miss.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, neither this Williams injury nor the McCoy injury is really getting a lot of pub. And of course, Darwin Thompson hasn't done anything through two weeks. So like, I almost feel like we might be able to acquire him without spending a whole lot if your league uses a waiver wire budget. Um, but yeah, I mean, Thompson looked awesome in the preseason. You know, he's the type of guy who, if he just gets one game where he gets 10 to 12 touches, he, he could just look so good that the Chiefs aren't able to you know send him back to the bench going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, McCoy's had a nice couple of weeks to start the year. Damian Williams was, a, was their starter coming in. But neither of these guys is a terrific player at this point and neither one is a player that Kansas City is overly invested in. So, there is the chance that if Thompson comes in and impresses, he can keep a role going forward and that would factor into my spending decisions on him this week. Depending on my uh roster and what else mm-hmm. we hear about the Williams and McCoy injuries going forward, I'd be willing to go as high as 25 to 30% of my waiver budget for Darwin Thompson.
1: I would too, and we'll see what we hear about Williams and McCoy. You know, I think there's a chance you could get Thompson for you know ten to fifteen percent. But yeah, you have to you have to decide how how much you're willing to gamble. You know, spending that little or or as much on th- on Thompson. But yeah, I mean Williams. We we, you know, we talked about all summer that he's never been a lead back, dealt with an injury in the summer, is hurt now. LeSean McCoy 31 years old. He has rarely played 16 games in a season throughout his career. So yeah, odds are Thompson at some point this season is going to get a pretty big opportunity in this
0: offense. Yeah, and and I when I say my, it would depend on my roster, like if I have four guys that I don't think Thompson has a realistic chance of passing, then I'll right. throw a few bucks in as a bid on him. But I'm not, he's certainly not a must-have player. If you are, on the other hand, you have like one running back that you really feel comfortable about and you're kind of panicking about everything else. In that case, I think Darwin Thompson is somebody to bid up for because I think he has the highest ceiling among the guys that are still available in most leagues. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Devin Singletary is dealing with a hamstring injury coming out of the Bills win over the Giants. You know, again, we'll have to watch and see what's up with him this week, but his status certainly doesn't hurt Frank Gore.
1: Yeah, and Frank Gore, who even before Singletary got hurt, was playing clearly ahead of the rookie in this game after Singletary played 70% of the snaps in the opener. So
0: you know,
1: I don't know what to make of this backfield, but if Singletary's hurt, it's 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 going to be Frank Gore.
0: The Eagles suffered a bunch of injuries against Atlanta, still almost won the game, but the key ones coming out for fantasy, Alshon Jeffrey's got a calf injury. Deshaun Jackson's got a groin injury. Doug Peterson said afterward he didn't really know. How significant they were going to be. I haven't seen an update on them since we're, you know, uh, recording this in the middle of Monday. So we'll see. But Nelson Aguilar benefited: eleven targets, eight catches, one hundred and seven yards, one touchdown against Atlanta, and should have had more. He had a <laughs> touchdown, a sure touchdown served up to him, and he just let it go right through his hands.
1: He did, yeah. But you know, still, still, a nice game out of him. And Aguilar has been productive for this team the past two seasons now. The, you know, the, the reason he really wasn't drafted anywhere. This summer is just all the tart competition, and now that that's gone, I think even if one of Jeffrey and Jackson are out in week three, I think
0: Aguilar is going to be in the wide receiver three mix at least. Absolutely. I mean, he started out last season drawing a bunch of targets. Of course, Jackson was not on the team yet then. Jeffrey missed the first three games. Uh, with the while recovering from the shoulder surgery, but certainly the combo of the two injuries makes Aguilar worth picking up this week. Played 96% of the snaps and going to see plenty of targets. We also had Dallas Goddard re-injure the calf that cost him most of the preseason. So Goddard's not a big fantasy factor, but it's one more guy that's not drawing targets if he misses some time going forward. And you got to think there's a decent chance of that considering that it's a re-injury for him. Whiteside. <laughs> played 93 percent of the snaps last night against the Falcons but only saw four targets and caught one
1: yeah I mean I obviously love this guy long term but he just didn't look in sync with Carson Wentz in this game you know maybe they'll be better together with a week of practice if Jeffrey and Jackson are out or saying a probably or sorry Arthego white side <laughs> probably worth um, stashing in deep leagues because again I do still believe in his talent
0: and Still believe in this Eagles passing game, even with all these injuries. Yeah, for what it's worth, I'm not sure if Carson Wentz was in sync with Carson Wentz last night. True, true. Mac Hollins also played 85%, and saw eight targets, caught five for 50. I wouldn't go picking him up yet, but uh, you know we'll see where that goes if these Jeffrey and Jackson injuries end up being longer term things. Yep. Over in Dallas, Michael Gallup had another sweet game. He's one target ahead of Amari Cooper for the team lead for the season, but. He also sustained a knee contusion in the fourth quarter, so we're going to have to watch him this week.
1: Yeah, and if it's just a contusion, you think it's probably something he'll be fine for week three. Here, Dallas does get Miami in week three, so you know it's also possible they just sit gallop down and, and say, you know, we can we can win without you this week.
0: <laughs> right. All right, so that's it for the injury situations that we're tracking. You know, check shark bites on DraftSharks.com because we'll certainly be watching all of them and updating them as we get more info. Now though we got to move on to some backfields that are starting to take shape or continuing to confuse us. And let's start in Houston where the Texans traded what was it a third round pick for Duke Johnson and then they traded a backup guard for Carlos Hyde and apparently it was so that Carlos Hyde could play over Duke Johnson. Carlos Hyde looks good. Like I don't understand it.
1: He looks good. Um so I so I can't even, you know, be mad at Houston for what they're doing here. I mean so we have two games so far from Houston and, you know, Duke was the primary back in New Orleans where, you know, that, that game was more of a shootout. It was kind of up in the air the whole time. And then Hyde was the lead guy in week two when Houston got an early lead and just sort of was milking that throughout the way. And that, that's sort of what I, where I think we're at here. I mean, Hyde is going to be the lead ball carrier. Duke Johnson is going to do more in the passing game. So we're going to have to sort of be guessing
0: at game flow when projecting these two guys going forward. You kind of have to wonder what Andy Reid's thinking right now with two running backs and Carlos Hyde's looking fine. Yep. Yeah, I, I think this one's still taking shape a little bit. I'm certainly quite disappointed on in Duke Johnson's role after uh, I was attacking him a little bit more in drafts right at the end of drafting season.
1: Me too. I mean, uh, this is a couple different teams now who are just viewing Duke Johnson as a change of pace guy. I still think he can be more
0: than that, but it doesn't matter what I, th- what I think. <laughs> exactly on Johnson, Detroit, looked good on Sunday mm-hmm. in that game against the Chargers. Did score a touchdown, so we're happy with the fantasy results there. But there's room for more, and it seems like the usage is what's holding him back to this point.
1: It definitely is. I mean, so through two games for on Johnson, 56% of the snaps, like a May num- number, 28 carries, You know, 54% of Detroit's total running back carries, only five targets for on Johnson. That's just 7% of the team total, you know, this, this backfield was almost like a battle between Daryl Bevel, who I think who's the offensive coordinator, who I think would rather just have one feature back. And then Matt Patricia, who obviously comes from new England, more of a committee system. And, you know, so far Patricia is winning carry Johnson, still clearly the best running back on this team. I I think, I think the, the role we've seen him play these first two weeks is like the worst case scenario. It's not going to go down from here. I still think there's a chance that he starts to claim more of the backfield work just because again, he is clearly the best guy in Detroit's backfield.
0: I agree. And for what it's worth, they've gone to Arizona and come away with a tie and then barely beat the Chargers and via comeback at home. So it's not like the offense has exploded out of the gate. So I think there's room, time, and reason to believe that the Lions will kind of figure things out here. And, I mean, it's also not like they're sharing touches with a bunch of other studs at running back. It's Carrion Johnson, C.J. Anderson, Ty Johnson, and J.D. McKissick. I mean, okay. on Johnson is the second-year guy that they just took in round two last year when Matt Patricia was the head coach. He should be getting more touches. The, the team should believe that he deserves more touches at this point. I believe that they will figure it out at some point.
1: Yeah, again, I think it can only get better from here. you know. And I think Carryon Johnson, even so far, has been you know, okay if he's your running back too, which I think is how he was drafted for a lot of people. And again, I, I still think there's a chance that the Lions figure it out and, and make him something closer to a feature
0: guy. It helps for fantasy decisions in week three that they have a solid scoring matchup at Philly. Not It hasn't been the best matchup for yards per carry for running backs, but a good mm-hmm. bet for point scoring, which should ha- should be on Carryon Johnson's side this week. Yes. Devontae Freeman, also frustrating usage for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. To me, he looked fine last night against Philly, but he's just not playing as much as we expected him to heading into the season.
1: Yeah, just 55% of the snaps for Freeman through two games. He he has he does have 19 carries, which is 66% of Atlanta's total carries. So if he's getting two-thirds of the carries, that's not bad. Freeman's also seen a 9% target share, eight total targets. So, you know, his, his like raw volume has been a bit better than carry on Johnson, at at least as far as percentage of the team work goes. My concern with Devontae Freeman is, to me, EO Smith looks just as good this year. So I wouldn't be surprised
0: if this split continues or even if Smith starts cutting into Freeman's work a bit more. I mean, if Freeman continues to see 66% of the carries and 9% of the targets and they just run the ball a little bit more, then he should be fine. I was bothered last night when Freeman was the running back who got them down near the goal line. And then Ito Smith came in for a couple of carries near the goal line, which doesn't make any sense because he's 10 pounds lighter and Freeman's like calling card is running hard. So uh, this is a situation where I, I feel like there's still a little bit of figuring out for the coaching staff to do. And I would like to believe that they will do it. You know, this is the first year back for Dirk Cutter as well. So like Daryl Bevel being new in Detroit, maybe there's a little bit of feeling out. I, I think Devonte Freeman's the better player. And I think that he's going to emerge as a bigger fantasy asset than he has looked so far, but I'm, I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I think he'll be more productive going forward. Um, And I would be shocked if Atlanta has decided that Edo Smith is their goal line back. I think that was probably a case of Devontae Freeman being gassed and you know maybe even pulling himself. neto just hap- happening to get those carries. So I guess you know I wouldn't be going out trying to buy Devontae Freeman right now. But if if you have him, I, I think he, he's a fine
0: hold. And it, you know, if you're trading him away now, you're definitely selling low. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, if you know depending on what somebody is offering to get him, I wouldn't cling to him. But I think Devontae sure. Freeman's probably a hold right now yep david montgomery played only a little bit more but carried a whole Mm -hmm. lot more in week two what are you feeling about david montgomery at the moment
1: yeah i mean i think just sort of a natural ascension for a rookie running back yeah like you said the the snap rate only went up from 38 percent in the opener to 44 percent in week two but montgomery handled 72 percent of the bears running back carries in week two also saw an 11 target share he saw three targets in this game Trubisky didn't throw it very much so definitely encouraging I think you know it's pretty clear he's the most talented guy in this backfield and and I think you know so, something around here where Montgomery's seeing uh, maybe two-thirds of the running back carries and, and a decent target share is what we should expect going forward
0: yeah I mean it's definitely a positive development if you're a David Montgomery owner it's weird for Mike Davis though to come out and see five carries and seven targets in the opener to one target for Montgomery to play more than David Montgomery in that game, and then to drop to 25% against the Broncos, with 15 total snaps. I, I just don't see how the Bears would have changed their opinions of these guys that much yeah. from week one to week two, and especially when the, you know they're talking on the broadcast about how the Bears coaches think that Mike Davis is their best running back in terms of creating separation in his past (laughs) routes. I'm not ready to say this is how it's going to be going forward in Chicago. I want to see what they do in week three. But again, if you're a Montgomery owner, you treat this as a positive and he's probably going to end up being a week three starter for you.
1: Yeah, it, it, it does seem like Matt Nagy is one of the more game plan specific play callers you know he'll he'll Mm -hmm. alter usage like this in his backfield depending on the opponent so i'm not ready to say montgomery's locked into this role but now even in that week one game mike davis didn't do anything with those targets and and montgomery's one target he might made a nice catch on a downfield throw so i think montgomery's just a better player than mike davis and, and it makes sense to use him as the lead guy
0: Yeah, it's certainly possible that they did just say, oh, we need to just give more to Dave Montgomery. This is how we're going to be. It's it's good for them that they're at Washington on Monday night in week three, so that should be a, a positive matchup for the backfield. Nice. Todd Gurley. Uh, We said not to worry heading into week two. I think that's also where I'm at on him coming out of week two. He was just fine again. Malcolm Brown's going to be involved. We're going to have to get used to them alternating. Malcolm Brown almost had a touchdown again, which probably would have had Todd Gurley owners tilting. But again, it was just because that was his drive and they got down near the goal line.
1: Yes. And Todd Gurley scored. So he is still capable of scoring touchdowns. So that's good to know. It's it, it you know if you watch the games it's definitely like I think in this one Todd Gurley got the first two drives to himself then Malcolm Brown got one drive to himself then it was back to Gurley so that's definitely how they're playing it so you know the exact snap rates and touches are going to depend on you know basically how how long the Rams sustain the drives that Gurley versus Brown are playing on but it's looking like it's going to be something like a two to one split in favor of Todd Gurley and you know that that means he's not the Todd Gurley he was for the first you know ten twelve weeks of last season but. I still think getting two-thirds of the work in this offense makes Gurley a borderline running back one.
0: Yeah, it would be a lot more worrisome if it were for a worse team, but the Rams are going to score more points than most teams, so there are more touchdown opportunities available, and there should be enough for Todd Gurley to be okay at the you know relatively high draft price that you paid for him. Yep, exactly. 49ers backfield probably frustrated every single person who played a member of it <laughs> yesterday yesterday. We had three running backs play a decent amount. We had points for all of them, fortunately, in a matchup with the Bengals. But Jeff Wilson was the only guy that found the end of them.
1: Yeah, and and sure, I guess that could be frustrating. But you you also got nice production if you started Matt Breda or Raheem Mostert. The, 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 these three guys, Mostert, Breda, Wilson, combined for 238 rushing yards on 6.8 yards per carry against the Bengals. Also caught four balls combined for 47 yards. Kyle Shanahan had it had it going on in this game and he he, he called an awesome game I, I guess that's how you score 41 points so um but interesting that Raheem Mostert actually led the way in snaps he played 47% of the snaps Mostert led the way in total opportunities which is carries plus targets he had 17 of those it was 29% of the snaps and 13 opportunities for Matt Breda that the Niners clearly don't want to overwork Matt Breda so I think he he's going to be in that, you know, 13 to, to 17 touch range. And then, you know, I, I think whatever's left behind is going to be Mostert. And then whatever's left be- behind out of that is going to be Jeff Wilson. So, I, you know, I think Mostert is definitely worth owning. And when the matchups are right, I, I think, you know, he, he's a guy you can start and you hope to get 10 to 15 touches out of him.
0: Jeff Wilson, I would uh, ignore at this point, though.
1: Yeah, I would too. I, you know, I, I don't have the exact
0: number, but a lot of
1: his work came late in that game when it was, when it was over.
0: Week three has got a negative matchup with the Steelers. Uh, You know We're only two weeks into this season, so we can't say for sure that it's going to be a negative matchup, but it was a negative rushing matchup last year. It's starting out like a not positive rushing matchup this year. So I would be a little hesitant with any of my Niners running back shares this week when I'm setting my starting lineups. I think I'll be a bit
1: higher than Breda and Mostert than you are. Um, Again, this 49ers running game just looks so good. I I think that they can produce regardless of opponent. And the Niners are at home in that game. I assume at this point they're going to be favored with Mason Rudolph under center. so I, I think it's an okay spot
0: for, for Breda and Mostert. Okay, they also lost their starting left tackle. Joe That's Staley broke a broken leg yesterday. That doesn't help. So, you know, you can certainly find those guys in the Free Agent Focus article as well. And last week, our Free Agent Focus had a lot of wide receivers in it. And I think it's a good time now to revisit some of those guys because we're talking about a lot of young wideouts and, And a lot of young wideouts still had some things happen for him in week two. Let's go to Marquise Brown first, who in week one kind of did what we thought he could do, was flash Mm -hmm. for a couple of big plays. Week two was smaller fantasy numbers, but it might have even been a more encouraging week for him because Brown jumped from 14 total snaps, just 18% of the team's total in week one, to 51 snaps in the win over the Cardinals, 65% of the team total in that one. Thirteen targets, four more targets than anybody else on the team. So Marquise Brown, after showing that he was the speedy, flashy rookie, showed us that he's also the number one wideout in Baltimore.
1: Yeah, th- this game was definitely more encouraging. If you're just looking ahead to Brown's, you know, rest of season outlook, I, I would feel a lot better about putting him into a-, a fantasy lineup in week three than I did in week two after you know that minimal usage yeah I mean 13 targets so he had eight catches I think I I didn't think Brown would have a game his entire NFL career probably with 13 targets and eight catches it's just not the type of player I expected him to be but yeah like you said obviously he's the number one wide receiver here this Ravens offense looks awesome including the passing game so yeah I think Brown is pretty much a guy you can you can roll with as your wide receiver three every week and he obviously has that upside he showed us in
0: week one yeah I mean he's looking like Deshaun, like what Deshaun Jackson has always been so far and may, you know, maybe we'll see, maybe if he's a little, even a little bit more efficient, it doesn't hurt that he's playing with the second best quarterback in the league, Lamar Jackson. (laughs) Exactly. Cleary McLaurin is another impressive week one rookie. Uh, Now he led Washington in targets in the week two loss to Dallas. Sits two targets behind Chris Thompson for the season lead among Washington players. But like I said, team high nine targets against Dallas. Caught five for 62 and a touchdown. And his touchdown came from just one yard out. So he can Mm -hmm. score from not only long distance, but also get looks near the goal line. Yep. So
1: 20% target share for McLaurin through two weeks. You know, that that's a nice number. He's also fifth among all wide receivers in air yards through two weeks. So he's getting those opportunities to make big plays. So McLaurin is sort of right there with Marquise Brown for me. I think, you know, he, he's worked his
0: way into the wide
1: receiver three mix already.
0: Yeah, I agree. I would have a tough time sitting either of those guys this week. McLaurin's playing Chicago. Yeah. So it's a little bit tougher. We'll, we'll see where he falls in the rankings, but I, I would have a tough time finding other wide receiver threes on my roster that I would not be playing him over.
1: Yeah. I mean, he should still have volume on his side in this spot. You know, I, I would, Definitely prefer Marquise Brown to McLaurin in week three. Yes.
0: Uh, and of course, Marquise Brown will be at Kansas City for that one. Yep. DK Metcalf next on our list. His playing time was up from 78% in week one, which is, was already impressive, mm-hmm. to about 89% week two at Pittsburgh. Played 70 snaps in that one. So even better when you look at the total that he was playing. Seven targets, which was five behind Tyler Lockett for the team lead, but... Three catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. His downfield role might make him less efficient than many of the Seattle wideouts but you gotta like the usage and it's never a bad thing to be playing with Russell Wilson
1: yeah I was gonna say it's a downfield role with Russell Wilson who you know is one of the best deep ball passers in the game it Metcalf's touchdown you know he he got a step on the defender but Wilson just threw an unbelievable pass just dropped it right into the bucket to him so he has Metcalf has that going for him I would probably rather have McLaurin and Brown rest of the way but I think Metcalf's like right behind those guys
0: yeah he sits in NFL's next Gen stats, he is 12th among all players in intended air yards per target. So, like I said, the downfield stuff, even if he's less efficient on catch rate, that's going to help him on yardage and scoring opportunities. I would rather have Brown and McLaurin because I think that they will continue to be the lead wideouts for their team. Whereas I think Metcalf is going to be behind Tyler Lockett. But if I drafted Metcalf, I'm feeling good about it right now, and I say that as somebody that was not anywhere close <laughs> to touching Metcalf at his uh, preseason draft price. <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm right there with you, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, John Ross, 21.5% target share now through two weeks. He had another good one against the Niners, not quite as good as week two, <laughs> as week one, but right behind Tyler Boyd and targets, produced, scored again.
1: Yeah, it really saved you with, I think it was a 66-yard touchdown with like less than a minute left in that blowout, so... But yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what John Ross can do. And even that touchdown was impressive. He caught like a a pretty short in breaking route and just ran past the angle on like three or four defenders to get into the end zone. So Ross has that big playability. He's getting the volume for now. So Ross's next three games, Bill's not a great matchup. Steelers, Cardinals, I think those matchups are better. And we'll see what he does in those three games. I think he might be a guy who turns into a sell high candidate. If he has a couple more big games just because AJ Green's coming back, I don't think Ross can maintain this, you know, twenty-one, twenty-two percent
0: target share. Yeah, I mean, I I think he could be on the selling table right now if somebody's actually willing to offer you much for him. I think that might be the problem, is where he, he might need more than two games because it's been a couple of fairly rough seasons to this point. So I'm not sure how uh, how high his market value is going to climb. Right. But yeah, the, the kind of X factor is AJ Green. He's It sounds like he's doing some work, but I don't know how close he is to actually playing. That could significantly change kind of the public opinion on Ross's outlook pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like... Green is a few weeks away. So that's why I say I think you're safe holding Ross and using him for these next 3 weeks. I mean, you know that that Cardinals matchup, I believe it's in it's in week 5. Um, you know, if they're still without Patrick Peterson, that could be another blow-up spot for John Ross. So that that could be the time to sell Ross before Green returns.
0: Yeah, and Peterson's on a 6-game suspension, so he'll still be out for that one. Yep. I think the good thing about John Ross and, you know, whether to sell or hold is you paid so little for him, whether you drafted him at the end of your draft or just got him off waivers last week, that he's not somebody that you have to sell. If you hold on to him yeah. and you just you have him through the hot part of the season and then he's just not somebody that you can start consistently beyond that, then I think you still have one with him.
1: Exactly. He's just a fun guy to play, too. I mean, man, he, he, he looks like the
0: closest thing to Tyreek Hill in the NFL right now. Speaking of Tyree kill, let's move on to the Chiefs, who had a couple of guys doing nice Tyree kill impressions yesterday. Demarcus Robinson put up the bigger numbers, six catches, over 170 yards, two touchdowns. Micole Hardman also scored a long touchdown and had another one called back by LaShawn McCoy's holding penalty.
1: Man, I mean, <laughs> I was convinced there was going to be some regression with this Chiefs passing game, but I'm I I don't I'm not I'm not convinced anymore. It, only it's, it's, progression it's it's just unbelievable so I mean I think Robinson obviously had the bigger game he he ended up out snapping Hardman in this one you know Hardman outsnapped Robinson in, in week one it was 91% of the snaps for Robinson in week two 74% for Hardman so Hardman was still out there a bit I, I think both guys are worth getting into fantasy lineups against the Ravens this week yeah
0: I agree it's like what are you going to tell people? What what can Demarcus Robinson do this week? What can McCole Hardman do? Whatever you think a Chiefs receiver is capable of doing this week, yes, he's capable of doing that thing. I'm not going to tell anybody otherwise. Exactly. You want you want pieces of this Chiefs offense? <laughs> Definitely. I will. I'll just start Chiefs receiver against <laughs> whomever, as long as Patrick Mahomes is in there. Yep. And then let's finish up the wide receiver portion on a down note. Danny Amendola. Neither of us was excited about the 13 targets in Week 1. It was kind of one of those situations where you had to talk about him after he did that. But Week 2 reminded us why we didn't have to say a whole lot about him because he followed the 13 targets in Week 1 with one target against the Chargers. You know, it it was a tough matchup for him. Desmond King is a good slot corner, but Danny Amendola is also not going to be the lots of targets guy going forward. He's going to be this where he flashes every once in a while, but he's usually somebody that you don't need to worry about deciding on on fantasy lineup day.
1: Yep, exactly. I mean, week 1 was the perfect setup. You get a undermanned Cardinals secondary with the elevated pace, a game that goes into overtime. Um you know so, so that was that was the ceiling for Amendola. He's not going to get there again. You know, it's still a lower volume passing game with, you know, probably three guys ahead of Amendola in
0: Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and TJ Hackinson. Oh, now you challenged him. Now he's going to go to Philly and see 14 targets. (laughs) He might in that matchup. (laughs) All right. So let's move on from that. And, oh, I actually, as we're sitting here, I just saw the report that uh, Michael Gallup is having arthroscopic surgery on Ah, that knee that was bruised. He is out two to four weeks. He's having his meniscus trimmed, no structural damage. So he's not going to be out long, but we'll miss him for a couple of weeks and maybe a month. So that kind of necessarily elevates Randall Cobb, I guess, and Devin Smith was somebody who <laughs> reminded us that he existed last week.
1: I was going to say I, I I didn't know as much time as I spent on this stuff. I didn't know that Devin Smith was active for the Cowboys in that game until he caught that touchdown. Yeah, he's you're not going to start him in week three. Probably not even worth picking up yet, but at least worth minoring. I mean, he he was awesome downfield at Ohio State. Had a bunch of injuries since entering the league but yeah I mean I think Randall Cobb is sort of the next guy up and
0: will probably be the second best target bet for Dallas uh, for as long as Gallup is up yeah that's a shame and Devin Smith by the way is already 27 seven, will be 28 in March so if he were younger it'd be a better dynasty bet he's in the right spot for the next couple weeks and I like I, that he was fun to watch at Ohio State but it's a little far along to start betting much on him at this point
1: yeah I wouldn't bet on him in fantasy I do think that having him there helps Dak Prescott get through these next few weeks without Gallup.
0: Yeah. I will say that he's worth a look at low DFS prices over the next week or two. We'll see how much he costs there. Yep. And he's at least a more fun uh, Tavon Austin. Way more fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's move on from the wideouts now and finish up with some D streamer picks for week three and week four. You know, you just mentioned Dallas. I don't even know if you said it, but Dallas is playing Miami in Week Three, so that means that they are the top streaming option, rostered in less than forty percent of ESPN leagues as of right now. It, going forward, the number one defense every week is probably going to be the one playing Miami.
1: Yeah, how much? How much would you bid on the Cowboys if if your league uses you know blind bidding budget? Uh, I I, I, don't know, I wouldn't go more than like
0: ten percent. Yeah, I, I was thinking I wouldn't even go ten percent, probably like seven or eight. Yeah, I, it probably would. Yeah, I was going to say it probably wouldn't even be that high. And yeah. frankly, if I'm if I think other people are going to be bidding up that much for Dallas, I might go ahead and pick up the Packers, who are not only decent option for Week Three, actually a good option for Week Three against Denver, but then probably playable in Week Four against the Eagles. Beyond that, they're at Dallas in Week Five, where I'm probably not using them. But after that home for Detroit and home for Oakland. So I think I would probably bid more on the Packers who I think I could use for the next five weeks.
1: I guess we'll see about the Eagles injuries. I, I'm less excited about using the Packers in week four, but I, I agree they're the second best option for week three behind Dallas. Um, I also think the Titans who are available, they're, they're owned in a bit more than 50% of leagues on ESPN right now, but they get the Jags on Thursday night football. You know That, that game just screams like Twelve, ten, or something so i think you know titans d is a pretty safe bet and then i think the bucks d they've looked better through two weeks and i know it's been against san francisco and carolina but you know i, I think they've looked better they have four sacks and three takeaways through two games and they're home for the giants
0: yeah i mean hosting the giants is never a bad spot to target so i, I can't go against that uh, week four, like I said, the the Packers against the Eagles, not because that, I think that's necessarily the best matchup of week four, but again, if you get the Packers to play this week, and you can play them in weeks six and seven, uh, it's just nice to not yeah. have to shuffle that position week after week. And it, there's certainly downside to playing a defense against the Eagles, but... We'll see about those wide receiver injuries. And if Jeffrey and or Djax are out for week three, the week four game is Thursday night. So that would be less of a chance of either or both guys making it back for that one.
1: Yeah, and and I do believe in that Packers offense.
0: That that looks like a a solid
1: unit with all the additions they've made. Um, I I think the top option for week four as a streaming defense is the Broncos, who I was surprised they're owning just 38% of ESPN leagues right now. And, you know, they get the Packers in week three. So people aren't going to be picking them up. So I think you can get the Broncos pretty cheap, cheaply, and they are home for the Jags Mm -hmm. in week four. And then my, my uh, kind of plan B would be the Colts who are home for the Raiders in week four.
0: I like it. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to draftsharks.com now to check out our updated rest of the way rankings, as well as the week three free agent focus articles for both offense and for IDPs. Our week three rankings will hit the site midday Tuesday, and then our first buy, sell, hold report of the year will be coming at you Wednesday. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at draftsharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at shop DS. That's S C H A U F for Jared Smol and the rest of the draft sharks crew. I'm Matt Shao saying thanks so much for swimming with us.